Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where we dive into conversations about psychedelics and healing. I'm your host, Christine. And I'm Leah. We invite you to listen with an open mind and heart and a little bit of curiosity while we break your brains along with some stigmas and make you laugh along the way. So let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of See You on the Other Side. I am your co-host, Christine, and of course, I'm here with Leah. But we have joined with us today, Misha Sozik. Yeah. Did I jack that up? No, I think you got it right on the second one. Okay. All right. (laughs) I heard it too. I I know. I get nervous right before. Um, Hi, Misha. Hi. 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 (laughs) So, um, hi. (laughs) <laughs> you are the owner of Embody. Can you give us a rundown of what Embody is? Yeah. Well, Embody is one of the things that I do. So, it you know, I am a lot more than the owner of Embody. <laughs> I like that. Um, I like to lead with that because a lot of the work that I do is, is, is actually tied between, uh, it's really helping folks bring a deep awareness to the need for like sacred rest, say like a a practice, cultivate a practice of deep connection with the body. Um, Honor that not as if it's a treat or a luxury, but as a practice of coming home to themselves. And we do that primarily with a practice of body work. So I am a licensed massage therapist. I did go to school to get a license to touch, um, <laughs> touch your body. Uh, so I've got, you know, my baseline training and, and, um, and touching people. And, and then I like to use that practice, um, in this deep exploration of rest, relaxation, um, at, like, like I said, very sacred thing and how that relates to what I was, how I introduced myself. A lot of times I find, I'm very aware of this, uh, that we lead with the work that we do in the world, in our culture, uh, and we identify with that, right? I am this thing. Yeah. And it's like, actually, I'm not at all that. I'm so much more than that. Sure. As a part of my work in the world is to hold space for people uh, to step out of that identity. And so um, me being authentic and trying to like anchor that myself and embody it, I like to just say, um, yeah, hi, I'm Misha. I'm a lot of things. (laughs) I'm like a lot of things I don't even know that I am. Um, but part of, part of that is, uh, part of my work in the world and me opening embody, um, me opening embody is a, an awesome story. And I'm sure we might get more into that in a bit and how it came to be. Um, but now, right now I am really interested and invested in my own, um, expansion beyond, uh, how I serve and give others, give to others and, um, how I can grow in my capacity to hold space for myself and my experience. And I am also holding space for other people to do that. The words, man, I know. I, it's like poetry. I, know. <laughs> I understood everything you said. And also like, how did you make it that pretty? Yeah. 
Uh, well, you know, I've been doing the, this work for, I've been touching people for, for 12 years. So, um, and I would love to say that I had this kind of awareness in the beginning of my practice, but I did not. I was 22 years old when I got out of school and I very much believed whatever, what we've all been taught to believe, um, and have been conditioned and sold. It's really how it's been marketed, this service, um, which is also part of the reason why I use, um, are we, oh, the door, somebody's joining us, the door. It's a ghost. <laughs> it's a ghost. We have a, <laughs> um, oh goodness. Where was I? Where was I, Christine? What was I saying just now? Um, I don't know that that ghost distracted. Me. I know we got all squirrely about it. Uh, okay. You were saying um, how you started. You weren't always. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't this. I wasn't aware. Um, and and so the way that I was because I had this kind of idea about you know massage, which is not actually like, massage is 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 a technique. You know, um, it's it's a tool I'm using, so I'm licensed to use massage, you know, as a therapy. And so when you really start to like think about that, and you're like, well, what what's the therapy then, mm-hmm. right? Like, what type of work? And so I I still think that 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 is a appropriate, like using massage therapy is an appropriate term. I don't have a problem with that. I have shifted towards using body work as a way to describe my work because mostly because of the, all of the current baggage around massage and how it's been sold to the public. Um, so people are really used to thinking about that work. I mean, it's in my intake form. I ask people how they relate to the work when they come into the studio. Yeah. And one of the options is, you know, the first option on there, which is also the most popularly selected option <laughs> Um, and that intake form is how do you relate to this work? And, and the first option I think says something about it being, I get massage as an occasional treat or a luxury. Yeah. You're right. And that's how most people yeah. see the work coming in. Myself included. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I want to say, first of all, that there's nothing really wrong with that. Yeah. Like it's not wrong to view that. Well, first of all, you are regurgitating again, what's been sold to you. So you know, there's a, an interesting, when you really get into the, I find it interesting, it, it, you know, you can decide whether or not you find it interesting. <laughs> to me, it's interesting when we really start to kind of like go deeper into the, the concepts of like uh, in the foundations of things and why they are the way that they are, you know, and, um, you know, massage was not mainstream until it became a really big, uh, it became a, a franchise, uh, initially first model was like massage and bees, elements. These were, we had massage therapists, um, before the nineties, most people, you didn't have to go to school for it. So you could just hang out a sign and say that you did massage therapy. I didn't Um, know that. No. Yeah. There was no regulation around it whatsoever. And it being offered as a service was primarily first brought in in higher end spaces, um, like to the public as a business service and not as a therapy. I say a business service, but it's like an exchange, I guess, uh, a, a commodity would be a good way to put it. Um, and these kind of higher end hospitality spaces. Yeah. And so that's also why tipping got weirdly lumped in with the work, even though you don't tip any other therapist that you work with. Oh. But we were this work before it was regulated and seen as a therapy and you had to get a license to use it. You could 
people were just selling it as a, this really kind of as a luxury service where they were using it in really fringe alternative spaces, um, alternative healing spaces. So, so there is this kind of weird thing in the West that's happened where we, we've now got this therapeutic practice that people have to go to school for and you get a license in, but then you're also still treating it as a, a lot of therapists still are subconsciously because we would be accepting gratuity, which we don't at Embody, by the way. I noticed that when I went. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We decided to let go of that. I did accept gratuity for, I went through this, like I learned a lot of the things that I learned right. by just walking through the fire and then, and then paying attention to how it just was not sitting well and then wanting to get some more clarity around it. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's an interesting background when you go into, you start to see like, well, why is it that we relate to stepping away from what is immediately pulling on us in a really uncomfortable way so we can have space and have clarity to connect yeah. with our immediate experience and feel our sensations in our body and reconnect, right? So just that act alone, which you don't have to do in a bodywork practice, right? is not an easy thing to do. And then, and then because it's not easy, doesn't it make sense that it would feel really good to like seek help with that, to yeah. hire someone to help you do that. And what we, you know, we're starting to generate, I think as a culture, some more awareness around the, the reality that, you know, we're actually social beings and our nervous systems really are designed to co-regulate with each other. So a lot of times when we, we think, oh, well, we're going to step away and have self-care and it needs to be this really holy and alone experience, right? Yeah. But really, you know, when we first learn to regulate in the world, we do that with the care of, with a, a being that has a nervous system that's regulated, our parents, our mother, we are, we hear her heartbeat, we are, we touch is our first language. I like to bring that into the awareness for folks who are like thinking about kind of shifting their relationship to, um, to their body and into using touch and to also seeking it out. It's like, it's a very, isn't it interesting that we just automatically, like what would be relaxing? And a lot of people think like, Oh, I get a massage. It'll help me relax. Well, why is that? Why would that be relaxing? Because it was the like to your nervous system before you knew how to do anything. The thing that helped you regulate and calm down touch. was touch. I've so never why, thought about it I like know, that before, right? But why is it? Well, I do want you to go into this. Why are so many people uncomfortable with that? Like we were talking earlier, you know, that is something. I'll do a massage to mm -hmm. relax. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's always been a gift to me. Like mm -hmm. my husband will get me a gift card yes. to a massage place yes. Yes. and I rarely use them. I have like a collection of gift cards upstairs probably Yeah, because once I get in there, as much as that seems like something very, very relaxing, mm -hmm. I feel uncomfortable Oh yeah, because yeah. I feel like I have to be talking to the therapist. I feel yes. like I want to get to know them. I feel like I'm, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm taking advantage mm -hmm. Is that a thing? Oh my god! Well, is your feeling a thing? Absolutely. Oh well, yeah. yeah. Like, what you're other you're people... describing a real thing that is extremely common. Like even though that there there is this exchange, mm -hmm. I still feel like oh my gosh, I feel really bad that this person is like massaging me right now, yeah. and I'm just sitting there, quietly. and I'm just sitting here relaxing. Like yeah. how is this fair? Yeah. Well, that's because you don't know how to receive very well, dear. 
Yeah. <laughs> we have talked about that feminine yes. divine. Do you love how receiving. I just like clearly diagnosed you? Oh, like, totally. I'm not even allowed to diagnose. It's like not my <laughs> You can die. I mean, we're friends though, so <laughs> like I give you permission to No, that was playfulness. Tell me if how you it could, is. if you can see my face and hear my tone, I'm playing. I'm yeah. playing with you, right? Like I'm playing with you to get you to like like to settle that in, you know, it's It makes a, a lot of sense. Yes. Um interesting. Yeah. So what you're describing is a real thing, like that I actually see a lot of, I would say in my practice, most people actually struggle with this, which is why this practice, one of the many reasons why this practice is really useful off the table, outside the room, like it goes beyond. And that's why I call it a practice, right? Um, you and I, like, you're not paying me to just do something to you for an hour, right? Or 90 minutes or however long you get on the table. Um, and a lot of people do actually think, like, that's the premise in their mind, that, they, that that's, that's the type of exchange that's happening. But you can see how that's really, um, well, one that sets you up in a very disempowering place. Like, I, you coming in and just being like, here, I'm going to give you money and I want you to make me feel this way for an hour. That's like no ownership over what you're bringing in. <laughs> right. Ooh. And whether or not you're even able in a space to let go and be with your experience. Now I can support you in one doing some pre-session processing. So we know like, you know, not to, again, not to go too far into the psychology. I'm not a psychological therapist, although I do study the fuck out of some psychology. <laughs> I've had to, yeah. I've had to, to know what is coming up on my table because it is just so, so there's so the mind and the body are not, first of all, they're not two different things at all. They're like, they're just two entry points into the same being. Right. So it, it's not, uh, you don't have a mind and a body. And, and so we, you know, I think it's Candace Pert. She was a neuroscientist. I think she's, she discovered like the oxytocin hormone um, kind of link with, I think it's internal opiates. Maybe it might not have been oxytocin. I don't know. Look her up. Candace Pert. <laughs> uh, she coined the term. Um, I think it was body mind. Uh, she, no hyphen. She just used that, that terminology, that ter particular term. A lot. I love that because a lot of people say mind first, right? Mind, body, mind, body, oh. as if it's like, Oh, mind first and then body mind over matter. Right. Like uh, that, like, yeah, ultimately the mind is, is meant to triumph over the body. That's why like transcendence is a thing like transcendental meditation and like this transcend the, the limitations of the body, which has been like a really, that was a really huge spiritual approach to growth and awakening for a long time. And now we just recognize that like, that's a fruitless <laughs> Um, who was your guest? You guys released, I think last week, uh, Alexa, yeah, Alexa. She had so many really powerful transmissions around the importance of bringing in the body, which is also my, my lineage of work it really goes into helping people understand, yeah. you know, the name of my business is Embody. <laughs> so it's like, we're going to really, you know, start to bring in the wisdom of our experience and like learn what it feels like to hold these truths in our body and recognize that like that's like full embodiment right we're gonna it's hard to find language for it we'll get back to it yeah. i did get it on a tangent so i want to back up and like try to go back um where was i how you got here how, how, how well, you turned into 
what you're doing now. <laughs> I was like, I'm turning into it right now. <laughs> you're watching it unfold. Watching it live. Yeah, you're watching it live. Um, oh, so, well, I was talking about the practice of body work. And yeah. that's what we were talking about. You were like, is it hard? Is that a hard thing to like receive? Like, why do I feel like I need to be talking to you? Yeah. Okay. So it makes a lot of sense that you would have that experience that we would all really struggle with that. One, um, you're letting someone touch your body. So I don't think, I think some of us, um, who tend more towards like people pleasing behaviors anyway, Mm -hmm. are going to really struggle to step out of attempting to please think about the term people pleasing. Mm -hmm. I need to please people to feel safe. That's Mm -hmm. what we're doing. Right. Like Right. You're attempting to please everyone so you can feel a sense of safety and comfort. If there is no safety in the room, there's no resting and there's no relaxing. Right. Yeah. So if you can't find, and that's how you're used to, I like to say like finding ground or trying to put ground under your feet. If, if the way that you're trying to get ground under your feet is people pleasing, then you're going to go into that pattern with another person when they're around you so you can feel. So oftentimes when you have people pleasing it, I find, and this, I think this also presents a lot for empaths um, because people pleasing, I think is a coping mechanism for the level of sensitivity that we feel. Yeah. Um, we end up in this space where um, if there are people around us, we're doing it to some capacity if we're not speaking, we're thinking about it. Like what needs, you know, like we're thinking about the other person that we're already in the pattern. So we end up isolating because the only way that we feel that we cannot do the thing is by not being around people. And you can see how that perpetuates and loneliness and isolation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, I always have to choose between myself or them. It feels it's always a ch- an either or choice. Yeah. And that's an impossible place to be. That's always that. Then that means that you're always either having to be fully present and pleasing another person or isolated and alone and not necessarily being able to be refueled and regulated by the nervous system of of another person. So when someone who comes in, who you sense that with them, Mm -hmm. how do you move forward? Mm -hmm. So, okay. There's not like a recipe for it. Sure. Um, And a lot of, and I'm still working on the clarity around this, um, the kind of attraction portion of this with the the types of clients that are, are in a space where they actually have the capacity to work with this. Right. So there is a level of earlier, you said you asked the question, your first question before you did the relating part where you were describing your experience, your question was something like, what is it when people can't like when they feel uncomfortable with touch it's like there's wounding there. That's what it is. Like there's wounding and there's a coping response. So we have to be at some point with the wounding. If it's so intense, um, if, if our coping mechanisms keep us really dysregulated and far away from ourselves, body work might not be the best entry point into this because I'm inviting you closer into your experience and I'm asking you to pay similarly to how, what we do when we meditate with mindfulness practice, where people are often asked to 
notice their thoughts and like, let them go notice the experience you're having and let it go. Right. So I'm asking you to notice and be with sensation as it comes up in your body. And oftentimes what I'm asking you to notice is pleasure, right? Because when I, if I touch you, right. And it feels good. And you're receiving touch that like that could sit on a sense level is very soothing. It feels really good. Like there's a whole can of worms around feeling pleasure and sensation through touch in the body, particularly when we have a history of sexual abuse or wounding. There's shame there. There's so much shame around. There can be not always, there can be, you know, guilt, there can be rage. A lot of times before we get to the shame experience, if that's been there living there for a long time, there can be a lot of anger. Um, and so people, what I'll notice is that people will get really, um, they'll resist it. They'll, and they, they can do it in a multiple of different, they they can, um, if they're resisting it because they're trying to people, please, they typically want to connect and have conversation. Right. (laughs) If they're saying earlier, if they're resisting it because there's anger coming up, sometimes there's like a lot of an attempt to control this session. So you're not doing this enough. You need to be doing this more. I need more pressure. I need less pressure. Wow. I need the music to be different. This music is annoying me. Like there's like a, like all of these little things that are coming up right now. Of course we have preferences sure. like that work. And I'm not saying like any time that you have a response where you want it to be different, it's your wounding. Like no, right. sometimes we just don't like the gongs on in the background. And yeah. That's okay. Those are uncomfortable. <laughs> right. But we might have this experience where there's like, it just isn't good. At, like, we're judging everything in the room. Yeah. We're like one step removed from the experience and we're, we're judging the way the therapist is touching us instead of engaging with it and asking just like, Oh, the, I'm noticing this as it comes up. Maybe you could stay there a little longer and they won't necessarily, a lot of times when that's happening, you can feel it in the client, but they're not really saying it to you. So they're resisting it. Maybe they just are like, there's this like contraction in the muscles where they'll hold when you're actually trying to like get them to rock and rhythmically like let go. Right. And they just, they just fight it. You know, they fight it. That's interesting that you say that because when I went to embody and saw Molly, I had, you know, had done massages before, but nothing like my experience with Molly. And during it, there was a time where I, I didn't cry, but I it started to come up and I started to feel really, really emotional, but I didn't Mm -hmm. say anything. Yeah. And you don't have to. And I, and yeah, I didn't. And and then afterwards when we talked about it, I brought it up and she was like, Oh yeah, no, I know. It was like right here. And I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. It kind of sounds like wizardry or like witchcraft in a way. Uh, (laughs) Or like we're mediums. (laughs) Um, And maybe we are to some extent. Yeah. But she said she could feel it. We can feel it. And you will cultivate that. Like you could cultivate it to some extent. Now, what, of course, there are people who can read energy without even laying hands on, right? So, um, but once you've had your hands in, in flesh, right? Um, I know when people are letting go and I know when they're not, right? And a lot of it is based off of what I'm sensing in the tissue and the soft tissues of the body. When I'm introducing a stimulus, right? When I'm doing a thing, Am I getting the, am I seeing a wave, right? Uh, am I seeing it stop in yeah. the body? 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I go to move an arm or a leg, um, does the person preemptively predict what I'm trying to do and pick their leg up for me? Right. Which actually makes my work harder, by the way, uh, just so <laughs> any of you know, all of you are trying to help just me. Surrender. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not easy to do, right? It is simple. And I think this is like a common theme for like my work in the world. This comes up all the time where I will talk about these things and it sounds really like easy. It, it's, it sounds simple. So the, the, what the mind does is it makes it sound when I say simple or when people hear that it sounds simple, they think it should be easy, but these, all of what I'm discussing, the way that the body, the way that we experience our body, the, how things come up, a lot of this is really patterned for us. We have a way of, this is a patterned response, mm-hmm. right? It's a habit that is held in the body right? So the whole nervous system, the whole being holds this pattern. How do we disrupt patterning with experience and practice? So, so we practice having an experience and we practice being present for the experience. We allow it to register. And then over time, your nervous system recognizes that there's a different response available, right? And so we, this is part of where the work intersects with psychedelics beautifully, I think. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been seeing so many connections, <laughs> yeah. like as you've been talking, mm-hmm. like I was wondering how you were going to relate this to psychedelics because we had talked about that before we sat down. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm seeing it all. Yeah. All the so you can see like, and I think now too, now that I've had um, my first hero dose and we've had lots of conversations about that, um, Leah and I have, uh, for those of you, like I'm saying that as if we have had yes, lots of, we have, we all, we have all had, but, um, there's a really large, like, I think I went through that experience on the backside with you. I was like, Oh my God, I've been like helping people drop in, in a very different way, but there's so many parallels to this experience and the experience that I have, um, that I'm holding space for mm-hmm. right um, now. I will very much say that um, the experience itself, the intensity of what can happen in a body work session from, you know, it can range from, you know, not from an everyday thing that just you, completely slips by. Right. And then it can be this very sacred thing that, and, and neither one of, there's nothing wrong with either one of those. I don't want to put one up on a pedestal and and say like, Oh, if you're not having a full body trip, when you're in here, you've failed. Come back and <laughs> you're not doing this, right? No, you're not doing, no, like touch touch is different depending upon where we are, and I'm sure that's that's also true for whenever you're using, you know, entheogens and and these different substances. It's all a form of stimulus, mm-hmm. right? And it's all an experience that you end up having. Like you you end up having an experience. So with body work, it, it, there is this kind of interesting parallel and it's like, instead of using an entheogen, we're going to use touch as a stimulus and we're going to see how, where, where we go in this. And so, um, so yeah, and, and to get a little bit more specific about the work that I'm doing with folks other than just, uh, just, Ooh, look at that. A little dismissive there. Mm. Option. I'm like dismissing my, myself. I do like, we do these things that, you know, so other than, holding space um, for people to have this very personal sacred experience of rest going inward, really allowing themselves to connect with what's coming up and notice that 
and providing some co-regulation for when that might be intense on their own. I'm also really interested and fascinated by how um, chronic pain and tension patterns get held in the body uh, because I have chronic pain. <laughs> so um, I have an experience of chronic pain. Uh, and so I, a lot of times uh, folks will uh, kind of gravitate into my practice who are looking for some support and um, kind of working with their pain experience rather than trying to fix it. Right. So, because a lot of the people who end up with me in, in their pain journey, they're not coming to me first. Uh, they've been down the road of like a lot of things to work with their pain, um, pain clinics, just a lot of different, you know, Western approaches to dealing with chronic pain. So there's typically, you know, a history of medication, probably some antidepressants and anxiety medication in addition, because living in a state of chronic pain is not fun mm-hmm. <laughs> as a way of really not putting you in a great mood to say the least. It's a very stressful experience. And then, um, and then, yeah, so they, they've got this history of like doing a lot of things and go and, and, and so I get a lot of the, like into the line, not necessarily into the line folks. I find that like, now that I'm playing in the psychedelic community, I feel like that's the end of the line. <laughs> like, right. right. <laughs> my work might be a bit more accessible for folks. It's not for one, we're not having to dance with the law in any capacity. It's very legal to come get body work. Um, in the capacity that I provided, it's very legal. And so, yes, it's this is a very interesting thing, though, because it, you get a lot of people who are now in a space because they've tried to fix, 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 fix. Mm-hmm. And they recognize that that approach isn't getting them anywhere because if it if it were – and I'm not saying it doesn't get anyone anywhere. It's just whoever it is working for, I'm typically not seeing them. Yeah. So I do think that therapists can get a little bit biased whenever they end up with people because we get the people who other approaches haven't worked for. And so we end up with this very skewed kind of, you know, well, it's this not is not working. Right. Well, this is the panacea, right? Like yeah. I've got the thing and it's like, well, this might be useful for you and it, it might not, you know, I, I won't know because I'm not in your body. That will be for you to dialogue with. And, but even that is like, what, practitioners are having that kind of dialogue with their clients, right? Where we're discussing your experience as if it's something for you to own. And then we're here to support you in that. And let's kind of, let's do some talking about where you've already been. And we're going to do a lot of validating about how much work you've already done to really support yourself and try to move past this. And we're going to approach this with some compassion and we're going to slow down and we're going to really connect with, um, the complexity of what's bringing up, you know, what's, what's having the body create a chronic pain habit, because that's really, when you really start to study pain science from what I can tell and from what I've learned so far, it goes back to habituation. Like we're now having our nervous systems are having a pain, like we're creating a pain response. It's very real. You can see it on an MRI, like people, are actually having pain. It's not that the pain is being made up, right? It's just that the pain is not necessarily happening in response to an injury anymore. Isn't it interesting how we have emotional wounding that very much mirrors that with, right? Like that's, that's a trauma response. Right. Right. So how is it, isn't it interesting that 
we can just kind of note that the body also has this habituate, it holds this habituation and it doesn't just present like pain necessarily can it for a lot of folks will present like chronic tensional, like tensional patterns that have maybe like subtle pains that are just always there. Yeah. Um, six months or longer. That's what I like to tell people in, in practice. Are you having a, has it been with you for longer than six months? You know, <laughs> um, any acute injuries going on right now? Okay. Well then now we're, we might be, your body might be having a response to something that it's, it's the pain switch is stuck on and we need to like do some sensation work to support, um, with that, which I'm happy to talk a little bit more about how I approach that when that comes up in practice, but so, I also recognize I've been talking. No, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, you guys want to ask me a question? No, I do want to ask you a question because it sounds a lot like, <laughs> so I know everybody talks about the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. I have it sitting back there. Yeah. Have you I, read it yet? No. It's dense. Everybody it's talks very, about it and I'm like, that's not a good entry point, guys. No, like, that's exactly what so I So what felt. do you suggest? <laughs> what do I suggest? I suggest uh, some work by Steve Haynes. They're little okay. graphic novels. Okay. Okay. So this is not necessarily going to be like a trauma deep dive, right? But we have traumas having a moment in our culture. Yeah. Right. Now, right? Yeah. Um, and that's beautiful because for a long time, trauma was like not even on the radar. Right. Yeah. And not even just a thing. Like, right. Like, just suck it up, guys. <laughs> right? Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> screw your pain. Um, but. Now, you know, as we do, whenever we are deprived of having space for anything, we then can over like correct in a way where everything becomes the thing, right? That we have now, now that we see it, we can't, it's everywhere. Yeah. 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 Right. And now everything's trauma, which is why the, why I use the term wounding rather than trauma. I did want to talk about that too, because you said that to me one time and I was like, that makes it so much easier to digest a wound instead of a trauma. Like not everyone relates their childhood to being traumatic, but, but we, but there are wounds. Yeah. And, And, and there are different types of trauma. So that's the, that's why I like the, the umbrella term wounding better because you know, and I'm not the first person to point this out. This is not necessarily my ideology, but when you really start to dive deeper into trauma study, you do see that like there trauma is nuanced and you have complex PTS, you know, complex trauma, you've got shock trauma, you've got developmental, like early, like, you know, and, and birth trauma, you've, like, there's a lot of different, but essentially there's just a lot of different ways you can get hurt. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's really what it is. Like, we're just talking about all of the different ways in which pain enters the body mm-hmm. and the being. Well, and you know, you, so the, the book, the yeah. um, body keeps the score. I haven't mm-hmm. read it yet. It's a very, it's the same. It's what you just said. Like I, I literally opened the page, the first page. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be a quick read. This is, this is very difficult. It's, it's really, really, really like clinic term heavy. Yes. And so if you're not really, um, in a space to like, if you don't have a background in psychology and the, and biology and neuroscience, 
um, a background foundational like knowledge, you mm-hmm. know, it's going to really be hard to digest. Yeah. Um, that's it what I'm feeling is. with it. Yeah. And I understand like the concept of, of like course. the body keeps the score. And I guess that's what I want to ask you because I remember you told me one time you were starting to do a little bit more work with, with clients. Do you call your I call clients? Them clients. clients. Okay. Yeah. Um, with TMJ. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Cause this is a big, chronic, like, uh, contractional pattern that is really commonly held. I find, um, uh, I know, I don't know statistics, so I can't speak like from a clinical space of like women hold this at 50%, you know, it's only diagnosed. Like I can't diagnose in that way where I'm like, I don't actually know the numbers. So you'll have to forgive me on that. But in my experience in my practice and, and also my personal experience, cause I have to have chronic jaw pain, um, that gets better and worse. And it's 100% for me in my experience, the, the, what has shifted that has been working with my expression. Hmm. Um, and learning also about how I'm holding the tension in my body and that the expression piece of it, I do that in therapy. Um, I am always open, like in practice on the table, if you're expressing, I'm listening. So it's not that you can't express to me, but I'm not also going to like digest your, like, um, I'm not a family therapist. So I know a lot about that. And I know a lot about the nuances of how we, because I do this work also myself as a part of my own healing journey. So I know how it's being held in my body. So I'm very open and aware of how, the many different ways it can be. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily true that people hold their stuff the same way that I hold my stuff, but that it actually can and is in some ways there's a physiology to these things. Yeah. And so my work is on the body entry point side where I'm really trying to help people feel how whenever it's interesting because they'll, as they go into their dialogue, I'm like, can you notice like what you're telling me, like, or whatever you're saying on the table right now while you're talking, can do you notice that your right shoulder is like coming up to your ear? Like your whole, you're pulling your right shoulder up Mm. (laughs) right now. You're doing it, you know? Um, and if you're doing it right now on this table, I pretty 100% sure you're doing it outside of here. Like, you know, you've, you're, you've got this contractional pattern that's being held in your soft tissues and, Let's bring some aware. Like, how do we? How do, how do you fix it? <laughs> right? Like, well, we're not okay. One, like, it's not necessarily a problem. It's provide. It's providing you with something. Yeah, you're closing off, and this is the way your body is trying to close uh, off to this thing. Yeah. This is how we're shutting down. Like, we're we don't feel. This is bringing in a sense of like, what's here? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Like, and this is your physical response to that. Right. So isn't it interesting? So now when you're outside of here and you're in conversations with people and you're, and you're feeling the things that you feel, can you notice the contraction and can you work at releasing the contraction? Mm. And if you can't release the contraction while you're with the, whoever is, maybe we need space from the stimulus so we can work at, right. Right. So including the body in the dialogue, because also when you get at the body level, you get below the story loop, the story loop of the identity loop, right? This like 
I'm stuck in this story of whatever is going on here. I'm identified as this, you know, oftentimes there's a victim perpetrator thing happening, right? right. When we're closing off, right? There's like a sense of powerlessness to do anything. So we, we shut down and we contract around it or we run away from it. There's actually lots of ways that, but yeah, you know, there are lots of ways that we can do it. Contraction is definitely one. Um, this is all like very fight, flight, freeze, yeah. but in the body. Yeah. And because fawn. don't forget about fawn. fawn because it's, it is yeah. connected. Like it's very hard to sit here and listen to you speak and remember that you're speaking about the body. Cause I'm like making all of these psychological connections to the way that we are with the world and the people around us. And, um, also, we've talked about before, like how we are so removed from ourselves. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't know what that means to, to be connected to ourselves in, in a physical way or an emotional way. So when we're feeling anxious around someone, we don't make the connection. Well, when you say removed from yourself, cause I want to like, that's a really great, I hear people say that. Okay. And I think, I think they're pointing to a real experience, but I actually think that that experience is different for everyone. Like, what do you mean by removed from yourself? Like when you get removed from yourself, where are you? Well, hey there, shroomies. We are so excited to have our first official sponsorship with Colors Gummies, a game changer in the world of mushroom-infused treats. So let's dive into what makes Colors Gummies so unique and why we love them so much. For sure. Unlike other brands who use ground-up shrooms, Colors uses nano-mushroom extract from organically grown mushrooms. Their exclusive extraction process ensures purity and potency, making them five times more robust than raw mushrooms alone. Plus, their gummies carry a full-spectrum blend of tryptamines for that one-of-a-kind experience. That is amazing. So what about dosing precision? Yeah, so Colors addresses this issue with their proprietary nano-extract. It's water-soluble, ensuring a one-to-one dissolution ratio in water. No more unpredictable experiences, just a consistent and reliable dose every time. Ah, I love that. Okay, now let's talk comfort because sometimes I get shroom tummy, but not with colors gummies. Oh my God, same. And there's a reason for that. I always thought it was just completely unavoidable when taking shrooms. But with colors, their extraction process isolates active compounds, leaving behind the indigestible compounds. They're gentle on the stomach, so no shroom tummy with colors. Convenience is crucial too. Colors gummies are heat resistant and perfect for on the go. There is nothing worse than finding your melted mushroom chocolates in the bottom of your bag. Holy shit, right? <laughs> like good luck dosing that out. Colors gummies remain solid, heat resistant up to 180 degrees, but who the fuck is going in 180 yeah, degrees? <laughs> and if you are, you're not dosing mushrooms. <laughs> They're convenient for any adventure, so no mess, even distribution, reliable dosing, and a shareable experience. Okay, so now let's talk purity. Colors is committed to all natural and no synthetics. Yeah, so many brands use synthetic lab-derived compounds, but not Colors. They're committed to clean products free of inorganic lab-derived compounds, and all of their products undergo third-party lab testing for potency and purity. So there is a whole range of products from colors, including microdoses, perfect for those starting their journey or seeking a lighter dose, 
the double strength pouch for a more robust experience. And my new personal favorite, the Amanita Muscaria gummies for relaxation and stress relief. Oh, I love them too. They are also vegan, gluten-free, and made with real fruit juices and purees. Colors gummies are artisan made and hand poured for a truly exceptional experience. Ready to embark on a journey or microdose with colors? Visit the Colors Gummies link in our bio and use our code OTHERSIDE15 for 15% off your purchase. And most importantly, be safe and dose responsibly. Hell yeah. I think we're distracted. Right. I think, but where are, um, if you're not, you see I'm trying to pull you I to do like, see. so you're, when you are like connected mm-hmm. to yourself because mm-hmm. what you're describing is a real thing is a real experience. Cause we do get, um, you know, removed or disconnected, but I, I think people do that and like phys- the physiology of that is very different depending upon the person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when we're distracted to use your language, then that means that our attention would not be on us. Right. Because a distraction is like distracted from what? Right. Because, okay, so if your attention isn't on you or the thing that you're trying to pay attention to, then where is your attention? It's on something. I think it's everywhere but mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. So anything. It's, it's, it's like so with you, people pleasing, just, your yeah. attention is on the other person, person. in the room. Yeah. It's okay. not with you. Right. And I, th- I think that's what I mean, like the disconnect um, feeling like – well, okay, so I, I just heard a podcast the other day and, and they had this interesting t- statistic where if given the chance to sit alone with your thoughts, like 70% of women said, no, thank you, because mm-hmm. they don't want to sit alone with their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And like 40% of men, I might be getting those statistics wrong. It might be the other way around because I think it was the men who were like, no, I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. So, you know, that's that like fight, flight or freeze or fawn. Like they're, they're distracting to, to keep from having to go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally see what. Does that make sense? Oh, that, it all makes okay. perfect sense. Okay. Is that connecting? Sense. I think now I'm just, yeah, no, it is. It's okay. making perfect sense. Okay. I think what I maybe was trying to draw like our attention to everyone's attention to, um, is that to get more, I'm inviting you and everyone else to get more clarity around where you do go. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. Because that is a part of your patterning. Yes. And it's not random. Like wherever you go is not a random place. It's not just anywhere. You are actually going someplace specific and that space is offering you comfort from the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it is in that awareness when we start to bring awareness to and kind of what you're saying, well, we just, you know, we get, we get removed from ourselves. I'm like, let's go toward, that's the thing. Cause it's the opposite of what you just said, like removed. So let's like go away from ourselves. And mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm inviting you to notice when you do that, notice when you do get removed and then can you lean back into experience? Right. Can you go back towards now? Practically speaking, because that's really conceptual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you notice where you are in the room you're in? Like, 
can you take your vision and tap into your peripheral vision and start to see the room out of the side of your eyes? Okay. Can you notice like where, like, where are you staring at? Are you staring up? Are you like floating up and away? Are you staring at the ground? Are you feeling shame, like shame and embarrassment? You know, like there's these like interesting, subtle body languages that we have starting with my, um, my biological father, uh, yesterday, um, in a intense conversation, um, we're doing a lot of personal healing there. And, um, I was inviting him to kind of see how he shuts down into victim and collapses. And that's actually what his physiology does. Like when he, he does it, he uses victim language, but he's also doing this like this. I just am this like this. Oh, right. And I was like, you're doing it right now. Like right now you are like dropping any sense of ability to hold anything. You're collapsing. Right. (laughs) Like that, just the body language itself and making that connection is. Yeah. 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 So So I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So how do we build this awareness? Because it sounds like a lot of what I'm talking about is obviously clearly really situated in like a lot of people would associate that this is a situated a little bit more in the psychology side, the mind side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I can totally see how it's like, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. Right. It's Mm -hmm. actually not separate. Like there's no like this is happening in your mind and this is happening in your body. These things are happening like simultaneously. Yes. And they're intertwined together when you feel when that's why we use the word feel how do you feel like feeling is a sensation Mm -hmm. right so i will ask people how they feel and they will tell me that they feel a thought (laughs) all the time they will tell me they feel a thought i mean i I do that too i feel like my partner is not listening to me. I feel like, and I'm like, that's not a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying a real thing. I don't, I'm not dismissing that. Right. But how do you know that that's how you feel? What do you feel? But I think we're right. so out of touch with ourselves right. and right. so much right. programming to even just, yes. you know, so many things were. I have to like correct myself like, no, 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 no. But even with that, yeah, like I would say the same thing too. Yeah. I do. Cause we're, I'm I'm not like right. Miss queen over here with, right. So are you saying, (laughs) I mean, you kind of are feeling it's like, I feel tense. Yes. I feel flushed. Did you hear me earlier? I feel anxious. Before we started the, before we started this conversation. (gasps) Yes. And I was like, I'm feeling this warmth on the back of my neck. And this pressure in my solar plexus. Yes. That's what I'm feeling right now. And I'm going to sit still with it because the body speaks at a much slower language than your mind does. So your thoughts are the, are a part of your story. That's just what's coming. This is how you are interpreting this, Mm -hmm. right? So you already have a habituated story that you tell around what this feeling means. I feel this sensation in my body, and this means I'm anxious. This means I'm sad. 
this, which is, these are emotional terms, right? These are the differences on a subtle level between emotions and feelings. Right. Right. So in my mind, you know, when we talk about like for me, right. The feeling is like this, that is how the energy is landing in the body. This is how your physical body is responding to whatever's going on. And then we have the label for what that means, the emotion, right? And then we have the thoughts about the emotions. I just made a connection. So the word emotions, it means energy moving Mm -hmm. through your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you could like focus on what that energy feels Feels like, like through your body, yeah, through your body, what is the sensation? Right. And, and I, mm, see, and I feel like I've been doing it wrong. Not that, not that you're calling me out on anything, but I'm like, you know, when somebody feels angry, I'm like, no, you, you're, you're expressing anger, but you're, there's something underneath that. Yeah. So anger is a very superficial emotion and it's a, it's a way to, it's a contract, like, uh, it's a, it's a very, um, it, it's fast. It has a lot of energy behind it. Um, and because anger and it's like Feels proper like fire, yeah. And it's proper use. It's meant as a protection. Like yeah. it's meant to like get you to protect yourself. Like it's as recognition that something isn't safe here. So underneath anger, typically there's fear, right. Mm-hmm. To some extent. And then, you know, people were like, well, I, get, I cry when I get really angry, which I do. I do too. Same. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of, <laughs> I cry when I feel a lot of intense emotion, uh, because I feel so intensely that it has to come out. It has to move in some yes. capacity. Right. Yes. And so for me, there's this major upswelling. And as I get better at better, that's probably not the best way to frame that. Maybe as I I get more nuanced in my ability to feel my anger, to feel it and be with it, my nervous system capacity to hold it without needing to go into this big release will get easier and easier for me. Like a practice. Mm. It is a practice. Yeah. It's kind of like orgasm is like that too, in a way, right? With like pleasure where we're like riding the pleasure, riding the pleasure, riding the pleasure, and then we tip over and we're coming, right? So there's that like our nervous system can't hold this experience any longer. So we have to have this big release, right? Yeah. So many connections. (laughs) Right. Okay. I want to talk about, can we, can we move? Can we, <laughs> let's move. Take me, take me, take me. Take me take I, think, I think we're going so in many direction. connections. I want to talk about your experience with, um, with your heroic dose mm-hmm. because the parallels here are uncanny. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing so many, like the way that you hold space for people and the way that like a, a guide, the, the episode that we dropped today I don't think you've heard it yet, but, I haven't. but he talks about like how the medicine we've talked the medicine isn't, isn't, or the guide isn't the guide. The medicine is the guide. And he kind of corrected us on this. And he was like, actually the journey here is the guide. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, and the medicine yeah. is the catalyst. Mm-hmm. And then the person holding space is down at like the bottom of this place, mm-hmm. like really just like allowing you yes. to feel Co- this. It's regulation. So, it goes back to co-regulation. Yes. And yes. it feels like that's kind of dance that you're playing yes. in embody. Yes. Like you're yes. the person on the table is the one doing the journey, doing the dance. Yes. Yeah. 
you're, yes. you're touching them is the catalyst, yes. which is to me like that's the mushrooms. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you're just holding space. Yeah. 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 But you're also inviting them to sit with something uncomfortable. Yeah. To explore that. Yeah. To surrender. Yeah. To. Yeah. If they want. Yes. With a sense of agency, like, like inviting them to, it's an invitation. Yes. Yes. Okay. So because I'm in, I'm already in the water asking I'm there in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Then, and I know how to be regulated in that space. Right. Right. If I'm not regulated, which I'm sure all of us have been in and around people who are dysregulated. What I mean by that are people who genuinely feel like, you know, they're draining, like you can't rest with them, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like something needs to be happening here, right? Right. Then you're, I'm not a, I'm not a safe foundational space for you to go and have that experience. And there are tons and tons of, and I have been in this where I have been dysregulated in a room with a client and naturally what will happen then, because we're human beings and our bodies regulate with each other is I will then use the person on the table to regulate. Hmm. And that's not the the energy exchange that's been agreed to. We haven't consented to that. Wow. And so a lot of clients will pick up on when that's happening. I I get that all the time where people will come in and they're like, it's not that I don't want to necessarily talk. Sometimes I do want to talk, but I'm really concerned that if we start talking, we're just going to chat and it's not going to be like this thing. And because I used to see this therapist and she would just talk to me all the time. And I'm like, yeah, she's probably not regulated. (laughs) And like, is also a people pleaser. And wanted to get connected or they made them just a woman. They didn't know how to feel comfortable in a room with you. So their nervous system started doing the thing that they know how to do to get comfortable. Oh, I have had that a lot. Like a massage therapist who talks a lot. And then I feel like I have to keep the conversation going. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so yes. So to get to back to the psychedelic portion of it, right. With that foundation. Yes. You're one, like, that's exactly the parallel is like exactly how you broke it down with the, the touch being the stimulus. Right. And I am, I'm showing up with a regulated nervous system. And I've also done the work that I need to do to be able to hold and open a quiet, if it needs to be gentle space and just be with you while you have an experience for one to two hours So I love framing it that way because I think a lot of times in our culture, the work that I do really gets lumped in with a really superficial somebody, I'm paying somebody to do something to me to make me relax. And there's absolutely no client ownership in that. Yeah. You know, I can't make you relax. Right. If you are really, really tense and you're holding on to this because your body needs to hold on to this pat, like it's contracting against something in your life and you aren't ready to like start the work of softening and opening and becoming more porous, there's not a damn thing, a touch I can use to get you to let go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that would in some instances probably not even be wise because if we're not in a safe space and our body is giving us a message of chronic contraction, like we might need that contraction to get through what, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's it's not like contraction is a wrong way to be. It's a way of being. It serves a purpose. 
but it's often not talked about like that. No. Cause I've had that expectation. Like I'm going in pain for a massage. So better or rub like, this shit out. You're like, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't that great. Yeah. But like, where were you? Right. But I well, lack some. Also yeah. where, you know, how many of the therapists that you've worked with have been able to guide you in any of the, like you are asking us to hold a space open for you and I, I and you're coming to me. There isn't that education there often. No, no. And I had to go into the world. I had to go into psychology study to get a lot of, and then yeah. pull it out really more like somatic psychology yeah. where people are sitting right at that intersection of the mind and the body and seeing how somatic psychologists work with their clients. Now they're using that body piece to really go deeper into maybe a history of trauma and work at helping clients release that in a very forward and intentional way. I, it is much more of a self-led thing with my work because I'm not a psychologist. So I am not going to start prying into your family history and asking you to like, I'm trusting my clients when they come to me that that is a, and we do often have a dialogue. I think it's on our intake form as well, whether or not they have any kind of physician referral. And then, um, having a conversation with them about whether or not they have a, a, a talk therapist is what mm-hmm. I call it, right? Like someone to actually do a deeper dive psychology or psychiatrist. Um, psychiatry is interesting. I, I now have one person I refer to, um, but there's typically a lot more of just like uh, prescription medication happening in that arena. I have a lot of clients who have come to me who also have psychiatrists and they have psychologists too, because the psychiatrist just gives them medication and then they have a therapist that they talk to. And I was like, that's interesting. Why wouldn't you be also doing a deeper dive with your psychiatrist? And they're like, Oh, I just see him for like 15 minutes. He checks me on my meds. And I'm like, okay, cool. Okay, cool. You know, like that. I mean, like, that's the thing though. Like that, if that is, I'm not here to weigh in on whether or not that is an appropriate, you know, whether or not that's working for you. And I'm going to, like, I, I have done the thing where I've like, are you sure that's, and it's such an overstep as a therapist, because my job is to hold this space really open for you to connect with your experience and be with it. And I'm going to be with you in it. And we're just going to be present with the, with what's coming up together. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep coming back to the body. And we're going to use that as our practice so we can become more aware of the physiological patterning around how this is showing up in our bodies and our lives and how we hold contraction and tension and pain in our bodies and our lives. So that way we might actually move beyond that pattern, you know? So it is this kind of like, I'm not the end all be all. I'm like one piece sure. of the puzzle, right? Sure. As you get closer to your experience, some probably likely some interesting, uncomfortable things are going to come up. Same same with psychedelics. You go into these things, you start to become, you know, really aware of very interesting things that come up for you. And then are you actively being present with that? Right. Well, if we don't know how to include the body, we're actually, we're leaving out how we be present. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you know if you're present or not? Well, can you? Like, are you breathe? Can you feel your breath? Can you see the room around you? You know, are you so caught up in that loop that you like, how many times have you like driven to the wrong place <laughs> on autopilot? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Like that kind of thing. It was like, obviously I was not present for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> or had to rewind the podcast 15 yes. seconds because yes. like, multiple am- times. Yes. Yeah. Because I'm like, you're somewhere here. else. Like, yeah. For me, somewhere else is I'm like in a story and a thought and I'm like, yeah, really noodling with something. Like, yeah. Like I'm tossing it around and tossing it around. That's really useful. Right. But okay. If we're going to do that, let's do that intentionally and like, Right. Make space for that so we can really get some clarity um, around it. And then let's be like present with it. Yeah. You know, but, and I think that's why probably my experience with Molly was different than any other experience that I've had because she, one, presented education about kind of the expectations, but two, mm-hmm. I put my part in it as well. Yeah. And it was much more profound than anything else. That I just I've realized done. that. We're talking about Molly and I'm like, Molly is one of my therapists. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> For people who don't yeah. know. For people who don't know. Yes. She's already been on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear about your experience with mushrooms, with mushrooms, what it was like for you and how it has kind of, well, we're already hearing how it's integrated, but like, I want to hear your take on like how it's kind of integrated into your practice. Mm-hmm. Well, it hasn't really I'm not using psychedelics in my practice in any capacity. So the only way it's really actually integrating in my practice is how it's integrating into me. Yes. You know? Um, so probably a couple of years ago, I started to get the like call the little nudge, you know, and, um, it really started, um, with you. I think oh, Leah. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how are you surprised by that? I guess I'm not, I, I need to stop being surprised. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, it's not like because of you. No, like, I, I think it's a space, manifester you know? thing. Yeah. Like you definitely were, were already like you were on your journey and I was on my journey. And I think like when, when people are really in that space of like opening to themselves and the world, like we come together, you know, we find each other. Um, and, and I found you and you found me and it was really, how was, did you do me? Uh, through a mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We met through a mutual friend. Um, she introduced us and she was like, I think you guys would probably get along. And she was really right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. She was really she on was it. correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was so, it was, it was like, I just, I, I immediately had this, I remember, I still do. And I tell Eugene all the time, I'm like, I just have this chemistry with her. It is like, so easy. It's so easy to be with you, you know? And so we were really doing this, you know, this thing, I think where we really connected over, you know, being empaths mm-hmm. <laughs> was like an initial part of it and mm-hmm. like opening to our sensitivities. And I think we met at a, at an early point in that probably for both of us, you yes. know, I, um, to go back a little bit further, like I said, okay, so I have been practicing for 12 years. I don't know if I said that on the air or not. Um, I've been practicing for 12 years. And, um, you know, I, I my initial eight years of practice was very, very, very different. I did not have any of this kind of psychological trauma awareness around the, like, the depth of what my work could be. Yeah. Um, it really was more of a, like um, – well, I didn't want to do the the relaxation thing because there's all of this cultural baggage around, you know, that people will call it fluff massage. That's what people come and tell me that they don't want. 
I don't want fluff massage, Ugh, fluff. And I'm like, first of all, what are you talking about? <laughs> are you talking about like stuff that like feels relaxing and good? Because you might want to change your tune on that. A bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I'm being a little sassy, but the reality is, is like, you know, people have this conditioning around relaxation. So they don't want to do it. So I wasn't doing that. I was doing like deep tissue fix it stuff. It was very anatomy oriented and Ah. just like harder is better. I did. I wasn't saying that, but that was definitely the subconscious conditioning. And I was doing that in every arena of my life, not just how I approach body work because that's how life works. Like the the beliefs that we hold, the approaches we have, they show up everywhere. Mirrors, man. You know, I think Christine, that was like really when you and I met actually. I know. Yeah. 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 So I was getting ready to, um, compete with my second bodybuilding show and Misha was my posing coach. Yes. And we were in very, very different places places in our lives than we are now. Yes. Um, (laughs) I was, I was just in a place like, you know, what's interesting to me is that bodybuilding, um, it was more honest, which I know is crazy sounding like when you say that, but from where I had been previously, bodybuilding was a more honest place. So in my childhood growing up, I was a competitive gymnast for a long time and like super into doing really hard, cool shit with my body. Right. And then as I became a teenager and I started to go through puberty um, and I left gymnastics at like 14 years old um, uh, and gymnastics was like insanely intense. Like that's really where my like perfectionism started. Like it was this ability to cultivate and be with complete discomfort in your body for hours and hours and hours on end and to force yourself to just do things that terrified you. So many Um, gymnasts I know are like that because they're conditioned to be like that. Yeah. You actually condition yourself to do it. Right. Um, the gift in it is that I can stay in discomfort for a really long time without flinching, but I've also found ways to disconnect from that and cope. Right. So there's, it's like, yeah, am I really in it? If I'm like, cause I thought you were like, so in it, such a badass. Like I wasn't, I didn't leave that. I didn't leave bodybuilding because I had burnt out. I left bodybuilding because I checked a very specific box that I wanted to check. I reached a goal and then I was like, and now I'm moving on to the next thing. Oh, I was burnt the fuck out. I, I, it's interesting because my first competition, I only ever did two shows. Yeah. Did you, and it sounds like you did two. Well, I didn't end up competing in that last show because I was going through a divorce. Yes. Well, good on you because shows are terrible anyway. That's my opinion. The whole damn thing is oh, just a shit I, Yeah, that's a whole other. But so, it's, so for those of you who might not be in the bodybuilding industry, it is just this hyper perfectionism around the way that your musculature appears, right? So it's not actually about strength and functionality and like being able to do anything with that body. It's about how that body looks. Yep. That's where I struggled with it, especially, um, Mm. highly recommend if you have struggled with an eating disorder to not go into that field, but that's, that's why I went into, but that's why I went into it. Mm -hmm. Is that why a lot of people go into it? Yeah. Because it's a level, it's a level of control. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And okay. so, which is interesting because I often felt very out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was a way to control my weight and how I looked, but then it was other people judging me on how I looked. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, then you signed up for that. It's like, I'm actually going to put myself on a stage yeah, and mm-hmm. like have a panel of people usually approve men or disapprove of the way that my body looks, which sounds so crazy when you say it like that to yeah. me. It's like, this sounds really harmful. Obviously it is, but to be in that place where you're signing up for that means that you're in a space of unawareness or like there is some like some other things coming up that you're trying to There's deal like some with psychological here. shit right Ooh, there. Oh yeah. So, you know, and like I said, in childhood, I was competitive gymnast. I also did beauty pageants. Really? Yes. My mom wanted me to be comfortable being on stage and like talking to people. And that's what she's, you know, she said, and I, and I'm, I, the way I said that sounds like I don't believe her in a way. I do believe her. I just, and you know, I grew up in a really small town and there, there's a lot to my backstory that, sure. you know, I could probably spend hours telling it and will, I'm going to be starting my own podcast. So if you want to know more about my backstory, you can find it there. <laughs> yes. Um, so, um, so the, the interesting thing with that though, that how, it, how it parallels to the, the body kind of where I met you in that space yeah. is just really that I had this deeply embedded, like, if I like, I need to be performing and achieving at the highest level on all fronts. I need to be, I, I was valedictorian in my high school. I like had a full ride scholarship to college. I was gonna get out of that small town and I like competed at these really high levels in gymnastics and I was going to just do all of it the best. Like that was how I presented and And I really tried hard to do that. So getting into bodybuilding was actually kind of a relief from like some of that because they weren't pretending that it was about anything other than the way that you looked like with pageants. It's this like weird facade where you have a three minute interview with judges and they ask you these ridiculously script easy questions and everyone pretends like we're not just sitting here judging these women on how they look and giving the prettiest one the crown. Ooh, <laughs> they're like we're, we're gonna all going to pretend it's talent. We're going to yeah. pretend it's their answers. Where yeah. with bodybuilding, it's like it is what it is. Look, you step on stage, like you're you they know, like you it or they don't fat like here it, and you don't have fat here, and this is really simple and like it's very, very straightforward. It's very straightforward. This is not about like performing, right? Like, and that's what's so interesting about bodybuilding is you. I knew what it was, but. I kind of maybe had this idea of it would be something about productivity, but it's surely you get on that stage and it, it is, it's it. Well, they would, I think people in that industry would push back and say, Oh, all the productivity is beforehand. And this is just like the reward is how you look for doing these things. And I'm like, do you, you not understand like what I had to do to look that way was so unhealthy. You know, I was so, drawn out when I was on stage, you know, I had to cut from where I sit right now. My last competition, I was 20 pounds lighter than where I'm at right now. Like it was intense, you know, it was a very intense experience. Um, this was prior to having children, which that blows bodybuilding out of the water as far as intensity goes. (laughs) I'm like, 
you know, uh, like I had complete control over how I showed up in a lot of capacities or I, I at least had the belief that I had complete control. You know, there is the psychology of what we don't know, but so my background being that I really came from this place of like hyper controlling my body, you know, and it all being about either what my body could do or how it looked, but not about how it felt. Ooh, yeah. You know, so it's either what I can do with my body or, but, but no space for like feeling that was just not in my vocabulary. Yeah. You know, and then I, yeah. And then I became a mother and, um, and it all went to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, it actually all really got very juicy and good, but it was very, very hard. I went through, um, because I think I just had so much of this, like I had none of the, the kind of awareness that I have right now around my needs and, and my feelings and my experience and my children brought that through for me. So I actually had to learn how to, how to have children. And this kind of intersects with my work, I think a little bit, because, you know, for a long time, I really couldn't hold space for people to have their experience and be with it. Cause I really wasn't doing that myself. Yeah. And so, you know, now in my practice in kind of being out on my own and, and, and cultivating this, I've gotten a chance to like get more clear on, on, you know, what work I want to be doing and what matters to me and, and how I want to be showing up. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is like, well, how do we all do that? Isn't that right. what we're all trying to do? Isn't that why we, we go on these like psychedelic journeys and get closer to ourselves so that we can like actually live our lives with some sense of agency and like get to the end of this thing, looking back, not, not regretting missing it all because we were reflexing and moving away from our pain and running away from discomfort. Right. Like, yeah. don't we all want to be that like powerful goddess or warrior that's like standing in our truth and like letting that wave of discomfort, like come to the shore and like looking into the eyes of what, like who hurt us. And, you know, like there is this like empowerment piece to this work, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think we don't do enough time kind of exploring, well, why, why are we doing this? Why do we, why did we sign up for these things? Right. For me, that's, that's it. I did go like, woo, on a little. No, no, that was good. That was good. But but yeah, but no, I want, I want to hear more about your actual. The journey, the journey itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was telling you before we got on air that I had a lot of time to like, I, I call it like runway building. I did a lot of runway building. Um, like I built a long on ramp on <laughs> journey. So I, I spent a lot of time preparing like, uh, I years <laughs> I did. I've been in, you know, God, I've had a decade of, of talk therapy, right? Sure. The last four of which I actually feel like I've been present for. <laughs> it took me a long, that long. So getting into psychedelics and like the heroic journey itself, you know, um, there was a time it started with, with microdosing for me. So about a couple years ago, that that was why I ended up telling that backstory. Thank you, Christine. I was like, where was I going with that? <laughs> I got all weird. And um, it was important because I think, you know, I, I was still very much in a place after having kids. And, and I, I woke up to an addiction that I did not know that I had. So this was after having children. And this was the impetus for starting some kind of psychedelic journey for me. 
Um, about four years ago, my daughter had just been born. I have an older son. He's seven. My daughter is now five. Um, so almost five years ago, she was four months old at the time. I started having panic attacks and I could not place where they were coming from. And, um, I couldn't place where they were coming from because I, I was, my body was actually responding to something that wasn't working for me anymore and hadn't been for a long time, but it had been a coping mechanism for such a long time that I wasn't putting it together, that that was the thing that was creating it for me. It was a shopping addiction. So I had a shopping addiction and I was creating a lot of debt that I was hiding from my husband. Oh, wow. So I was very isolated and alone. Um, and I had had this shopping, this shopping addiction started, um, after a financial trauma with my family when I was a teenager. So my parents lost their, we lost everything. We lost our house. Um, my dad lost his business. It was a really painful and intense time. And it was right as I was leaving high school. And so I had this whole, um, I, I know when it started, I know the moment it started, my mother, they had, they had already lost all this money. And she had, even after all of that, when I was leaving for college, she was like, we need to get you a credit card because you need to start establishing credit because clearly we are not going to be able to help you get anything. They just went through bankruptcy. Right. So she was genuinely trying to help me. And we did. We got me a credit card. And then I remember her telling me, like, it's important for you to pay this off. But, you know, don't be afraid to treat yourself. You work real hard. Ooh. And I was in such an uncomfortable emotional place and in that time and my family and being in that home. And it was a really hard time that I took that and it was like my lifeline. I, I had permission to go get that dopamine hit, you know. And I did, you know. Wow. Yeah. It was very culturally okay to do that. Yeah. It's also really culturally okay to just buy small shit and not tell your partner about it. Yeah. Like, you know, so this had already been developed in me before I ever met my husband. And so I had a short like little debt time and then I like met him and the story in my mind, I had no, oh, sorry, I just hit that. <laughs> I'm like talking with my hands, um, no awareness around, um, how this was an addiction patterning for me. I didn't at that time to me, it was exactly that self-care. It was self-care. Well, right? and that's an addiction that's not really, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that one. It's like drugs or alcohol. Well, it's like what you said on a podcast, you know, Jason may have resorted to alcohol and you're, you're holding, you know, like, why are you doing that? Why are you doing mm -hmm. that? Yeah. But then you're doing this too. Right. You know? Yeah. So no. And so, yeah, that was mine. And I like, and it started the way it always starts very small, very slow, very innocent. Like there's this, like such a small, I have so much compassion for it, you know, sure. because people like will hear the stories and they'll hear the numbers about the final number of the debt. And they're like, how the fuck? Yeah. Oh my God. How could you do, do that? that? And it's like, well, over years and this happened over, so I'm, this was happening with Eugene before I ever met this started when I was 18 and I didn't wake up to it until I was 28. So 10 wow. years yeah. of dipping in and out of these really habituated and it would get better. Like I would not create debt when life was real easy. <laughs> oh, 
shit. Interesting. <laughs> you know, my like patterning would just like, you can look back and you can see it. But of course you, first of all, you don't know it's a pattern until a pattern has been established. So it actually does need to go on for a little while before you right. can see it. So, so waking up, you know, however many years later, I started to really like my, because I had children and I now had these two children that I needed to be responsible for. And I had all of this debt that I did not know how I was going to pay off. So to me, I just started having panic attacks. And did, did, was that something that was withheld still from Eugene? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I was so totally then, alone. Yeah. Cause you're, I'm totally alone. I have no way it. to like, to get yeah. out of it, to tell any, like, there's no way I'm going to pay off $25,000 without right. anyone knowing. Right. <laughs> Like, right. what are you going to do? How are you going right, to do this? Right. You know? And right. the way that I would cope with the anxiety would be to spend more money. So it's like, it's oh, eating wow. the way I'm trying to get ground under my feet is eating away at the ground under my feet. It's like quicksand, you know? Yeah. So this, it's so fascinating. You know, I can, I can see it so clearly now. Of course, at the time I didn't have any of this awareness. I'm just like, like, and so that my like moment of clarity was my sister's wedding. She wanted me to write. I'm the maid of honor. She wants me to write the speech uh, for her wedding. And I, as I'm writing the words that I'm going to say about their marriage, I can see that I don't have any of that. Oh, shit. And I have to like stand up there and say it to them. Wow. You know? And I was like, I don't have any of this in my, like, this is, it was like such a set, like I could, it was the moment where I was like, okay, we're done now. So you're going to have to like bring this forward because I knew I could not emotionally tolerate after having that kind of awareness, staying in that kind of relationship. Wow. So it had to change and I had to change and he had a whole piece in how he participated in that. Right. But that is really his story to tell. Um, my ownership in that was that I really, from an early age, did not know how to be present with my needs and like show up and and do conflict in a healthy way. And so I just kept coping and shutting down um, and trying to build this pretend life. Like this is what life is supposed to look like. You know, you're supposed to accomplish all the things, do all the things, have the babies, have a perfect family. And then once you create like having Torah, that was the end of that, like predetermined subconscious roadmap. There was nothing left left to to do. do. Like you hit, you checked all the boxes. Yeah. And they were all subconscious boxes. I wasn't even like, yes, this is exactly what I'm signing up for. Well, and I think a lot of us do that because it's like, you go to college. Yeah. You get the job. Yes. You get the husband. Yeah. Wife. You get the kids or whatever else. Like buy the house. You buy the house. You do all those things. But then once you do them, you're like, okay, I'm here. This is what it's supposed to feel like. Now what? But there's still. This is it. This is it. This is what they've all been telling us. And I think a lot of people feel that way where they they're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Why don't I feel good? Right. They don't feel whole still. Yeah. And I never really felt done. I never even knew that that's what I was doing. So the way that it just started to work was it was like my body was pushing back on all of this, this like subconscious life mapping. It was just like, this is not for you. Right. You are not in your power. Like you aren't even in charge right now. You're just 
like it, it was really, really uncomfortable. And so, I mean, at that wedding I told, um, you know, I told, I made a decision to be honest. I was having panic attacks. Uh, clearly Eugene was like, <laughs> he tells his side of the story is always that he thinks I was cheating on him. And in a way I was, cause oh, I had all of this history, yeah. this, this like you're hiding the secret stuff. You know, and that's and that and he could feel it. He was like, "She is about to say some really terrible shit to me." Like when he was like, "What is the deal, Misha?" And I was like, "I got to talk to you," you know. And I just told him, and it was the one of the bravest moments of my life. Oh yeah, I I was unbelievably terrified <laughs> that well, yeah. I was going to. I was I was pretty sure that he. Um, I was I. This will speak to the nature of who we used to be. I was pretty sure Eugene was not going to leave me, but I was 100% sure he was going to punish me for the rest of my life if I stayed with him. And I was terrified that I was going to have to make a decision to not only be honest, but then leave him because I didn't want to be punished forever. Ooh. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You know, so. I appreciate you, like, getting that vulnerable with it. Um in like the state of your marriage and you being on that honest. Yeah. I mean, it's my truth. Sure. You know, like, yeah, it's, that was my experience. And I know I am 100% sure I'm not the only person who's having this, that who's had that experience or not. If there are people out there who are currently going through that. I was just about to say that. I think that that's a very common thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But when you're in it, it feels terrifying and lonely, Sure, you know, and that's kind of how it operates because, you know, you are secretly coping and you like, because that coping mechanism in its full light, you know, will not be held. Like it can't tolerate the light. Right. Right. So that was really where psychedelics kind of started to come in at that point. So in my healing, I initially went trauma route uh, where I just got much more into understanding, like, you know, first there was all of the guilt and all of the shame, you know, uh, it really guilt was appropriate. The shame was not. And I was definitely much more in shame. I was doing the thing where I'm like collapsing, um, inward on myself and just can't even like look at myself in the mirror making eye contact with my children was unbearable. It was like, I have put them in such like a, I've taken such an unnecessary risk here. It was such a vulnerable time for me and my therapist. Thank, thank God for her. I mean, I remember calling her and I mean, we called her on the way home from that wedding and we had like a group talk and she was like, all right, we're going to get into this whenever you guys get back into town. But then I had reached out and I was like, I'm really struggling here. And she like, let me talk for about 10 minutes on the phone. And then she was just like, Misha, like, you know, this is like your shit. You're allowed to be in per- like, you're on the perfection train right now. You're doing it. You're just expecting you to never have had any nasty, like shadowy stuff. And because I had been previously in therapy and couples therapy to be working with Eugene on all of his stuff. And like, right. it was just so oriented around him. And she's like, welcome to the party. Now you get to work on your stuff. Like, <laughs> oh shit. You know, like you're allowed to be human. And she wasn't being, she was able to deliver that the way that I needed to hear it in that sure. moment. So she was not snarky with me. She was very much like, you are allowed to be a human. You are allowed to make mistakes you do not have to do this perfectly. That does right. not mean that you have right. to be alone. Right. 
because you think that you have to be perfect to be in a relationship. Right. And that so no one will like, love you if right. you, right. And it was so even just, punishing yourself and like not even being yeah. able to look at your kids in the eye yes. because you feel so much shame. Yes. When knowing, you know, right. you're a mom and a human being. And right. But I didn't, up. I had never accepted that about me. That yeah. was, I was, I was not allowed to be that. Other people were. Sure. You know, but yeah. not me. I was supposed to be the one who had it all figured out because I always was as a kid or I was always told that about myself. Nish yeah. is the one who's got it all together. She's the one who's going to go and she's the most likely to succeed. She's the like, and I'm like, no, it's a lot of expectations. Yeah. It's a lot yes. of expectations and, and agreements that like you are, that are put on you that you agree to without even understanding why you're well, you well, can't agree to yeah. it as a child. Yeah. Right. Right. You can't consent as a child. Yeah. Right. This is why the messaging that we give our kids is so unbelievably powerful and how we project unfulfilled stuff onto them because they take it and they soak it in and they will adopt, they adorn it as if it's theirs until yeah. they get an opportunity yeah. to then shed it. You well, know? and so many children who are agreeable and do well in school and do everything by the book. It's like, oh, you're so good. You're so, so good, good and you're so well behaved and yes. you're going to be so successful. You're so mature for your age. That was the one that I, I still get to this day. Yeah. <laughs> People will say that to me and I'm like, I don't even know what that means anymore. Do you even know how old I am? <laughs> <laughs> like, you're so mature for your age. But it's, it you is, know, and it's, it's like the like, label of I'm not allowed to be immature. I'm not allowed to be like childlike, childlike and playful play. Reclaiming play in my adult life has been so important. And it's still so hard because my default state is the state of the one who's doing the work. Right. Yeah. So yes, I did a couple of years before psychedelics where I was in the space of being aware of what my need, like the deep, stuff like, okay, we're getting into the meat now. Like I'm coping, I'm using something there. I'm avoiding. I, right. And so I'm doing that work and I'm getting really clear on, um, just looking. Okay. (laughs) I have a hard time like continuing to talk when we move. No, it's okay. It's like, (laughs) so you're um, doing the work. I'm doing it. Um, and, um, and, and then at some point, you know, we, you and I talk and I'm, I'm interested in, um, I'm starting to hear a lot in the world of trauma therapy about an addiction recovery about the use of psychedelics. And so I never did a 12 step. I kind of toyed with it and played with flirted with it for a minute. I like to joke and say, I could never get past the first step because you have to admit that you're powerless and I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not just, I don't want to discount that step for folks. I know that's actually kind of, um, a very contentious thing. And there's a lot of like attachment to that. I have the li- I'm liberated to be able to play with it because it's not mine. I, it, well, I didn't like, I never had that kind of deep thing with 12 steps. So I know I'm, if I'm upsetting or triggering anyone, it's not my intention. Okay. Um, that's listening, but so yes, I, um, I didn't do the 12 steps. I read about them. I, I got the gist of it and I kind of incorporated some of that work in my own therapy. And then I did get to a point where I was like, okay, 
every year around the same time of year uh, that I deal with, um, it was seasonal for me. And a lot of people, I think, stop at like seasonal depression. And I think that's a real thing. Like light, of course, affects how we feel in our moods. But I have a lot of actual like trauma that has happened in that time of year in my life where uh, just like old, like relational trauma, things that have happened and they've happened in the winter time. So I also think I get this like re a little bit of like, um, re- not necessarily reliving it, but the energy of those things kind of comes in yeah, um, more. And so I'm more aware of kind of my, my scars and how they show up. And so I was like, I don't really feel at that point. I did not want to do any kind of big dose. I just wanted to do some micro dosing because it felt really low risk. It was like, okay, I can, to me, I know that's still very risky for some people, but to, for me, it wasn't that big of a risk. I was like, I know I'm not going to like have any kind of conscious experience with this. Um, I can build it into my daily life. And so I did that and I did that off and on for a couple of years. And then, um, at the beginning of this year, something just clicked and it was like, I think I want to have a larger experience with this. I want to be more intentional with this. I want to like, I want to get what everybody else is getting. Like, <laughs> I want to just dip my toes. I'm ready. To, I think I'm ready to like meet me on a deeper level. Like I was so scared yeah. of myself. For, that's really what it was, was just that I had really hurt myself in a very unconscious way. I did not. I knew that I had some stuff that I was not aware of that caught, was causing a lot of pain. And then I woke up to that. And for a while I was like, you know, I don't think I want to like wake up in that way. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that kind of shifted. I stopped over time. I stopped being afraid of what I was coming into contact with and feeling a little bit more curious. So it's like, okay. So what was, um, what was your intention? My intention going into it was to have the feeling experience to feel what it feels like to trust myself. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a very good intention. You know, initially when I was like kind of playing with it, I was like, I want to know like what my gift is, you know, like, what am I like, what am I here to do? And I ended up moving away from, that was like the entry point. But when I took that a little deeper and I sat with that a little deeper, it was like, you already know what you're here to do. You just need to trust yourself. Yeah. Oh shit. Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, like you already have a knowing of like where you're going. You might not know what it's going to look like. Sure. You might not know how it's going to manifest, but you know, the feeling of being in alignment with what's alive right now for you. You just need to trust that it's okay to move towards that. It's good. That's a hard one too for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, because we've been taught to fear ourselves. Yeah. Particularly women. Yeah. Like when you really start to understand the societal harms to women in general, um, and I know that there's a power hierarchy and that this moves with people of color and black folks. And like, I know about all of, you know, that there is this entire hierarchy, right? But that's kind of the point of the hierarchy is that, I mean, even the people who are at the top of the hierarchy were at once not at the top of the hierarchy, right? So we all have this kind of oppressive pain living with us, but in, with women in particular, you know, one of my favorite female teachers, she talks, uh, she teaches like power dynamics. Her name's Kasha Urbaniak. I highly encourage everyone ever to 
to learn from her. She's, uh, was a dominatrix in New York and, uh, also teaches, she's just an awesome, awesome teacher. So I'm going to look her up. up. I know. Look her (laughs) up. She's had me look her up before. (laughs) She's incredible. She says, what's the easiest way to control a woman? Teach her to control herself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know. You want to talk about like mind blowing. Uh, (laughs) Well, we only need to control what we like fear and what we don't understand. Right. Because we can't like play with it and let it be and let it flourish. If it's like too dangerous to like, if it's got the power of fire and it could take over and burn down everything we've ever built. So we need to really control that. Wow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There is this kind of like, you know, um, learning to trust ourselves. And so that's really where psychedelics have been a major supportive partner for me or, you know, entheogens or mushrooms. You just pick your language, whatever works best for you. I knew and know still, like this is my journey that I'm on now that I'm currently working with in my own life. And then also simultaneously, because that's the way it works when we do it, we also then open the space for folks to come in in whatever capacity. So also holding space for people to like, what does it feel like to trust myself? Do you remember when I was dropping in, like how I was saying I was so grounded. I was like, this is what it feels like to be grounded. Yeah. Yeah. It was like so heavy in my body and it felt, it felt like one of my favorite feelings ever. Cause I was so, so weighted down in this way that felt very comfortable. I could like really feel like just what it felt like to not be lifting myself up away from the, the world, you know? Wow. So it's a rest down in my body to feel that comfortable to be, able to open, to be porous, to receive, to connect, to be vulnerable, to give, right? Like you're saying kind of full circle coming back to that, like, why do I feel like I need to fill the space and like entertain them and talk to them, right? Well, there has to be a deep consent that has been arrived at that you're going to open up and allow yourself to drop into your experience and that you like knowing that that's what you're attempting to do. Also knowing that you've put yourself in the hands of a person who knows how to hold space for that. Mm. You know, when you really trust that, when you know that that's what you're signing up for doing, it becomes effortless. Hmm. And that was really what came through as a huge part of my heroic dose I was saying before, before I went in, I was so afraid I was going to fight it and not know I was fighting it. Uh, That's what I was going to ask you. I was like, am I going to, like, I know that people resist. Um, Because you see it in your work. I see it in my work and I don't want to resist this, but I'm afraid I'm going to do it and not know I'm doing it. Because I've also, because it's often when we are resisting, we don't know we're resisting. Yeah. (laughs) My daughter resists so hard right now. Everything ever needs to happen like she needs to get out the door and put her shoes on she just can't life is really she's resisting so hard and I'm trying to help her bring her awareness to what resistance feels like and whether or not it's actually necessary because by the way resistance is necessary sure right it's not necessary like we're not trying to transcend and just be endlessly open and porous that would not be safe for a lot of people in a lot of situations Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. But what happens when we get stuck and closed and we can't ever receive and then we 
just drain ourselves to the point where we can't, like we can't be refueled. Right. So with dropping in for, for the mushrooms, you know, I mean, I started to feel like the urge to resist. I, to answer your question, Christine, from what I could tell in myself, I had the most mild form of early resistance. And then I knew it when it was happening and I was able, I was able to lean into my connection, um, with my grounding source, uh, with you, (laughs) uh, to, to get past that resistance, which I think is the value of having that co-regulator there. Mm. Right. Um, because I never thought of it on that level. No. And yeah. we, we've talked before about how like not everyone is capable of, of holding space. Yeah. And uh, so I am, I just want to bring this forward right now because it's coming up for me and I know that, you know, this might create a little bit more work for you and in, in the back end. So I'm just going to say <laughs> sorry ready. in advance <laughs> oh, uh, if you have to edit this out, but I feel like I wanted to get some clarity on whether or not I could talk about you being present for my experience before we record it. it. Okay. We, we've talked about it with Sarah. Um, yeah. you know, I hold, I hold space for, yeah, I just didn't Friends. get clarity around that. It's and okay. I was like, we're on your podcast and now I'm trying to talk no, about no, my no. experience. And I, I want to talk about the importance of like, you know, the space that you held and how it parallels to my work, but it, it was also no, getting a little, it's okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, you can, you can, okay. you can say that. I, was like, it's kind of, I, I will say, it. just to put this out there. I do not do this for people. Yes. So do yes. not, yes. this is for my very close. I do this for people that I love and, yes. and yes. know very dearly. Yes. This so. is not a service you offer. Yeah, exactly. Thank yes. you. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this, I'm like guarding what I'm saying and I just no, need to like, yeah, I need Let to, loose. yeah, either that or know that I need to be guarded and just like yeah. not stay away from it. Yeah. So, um, Okay. So yeah, I, essentially I do you remember when we were, I was dropping in and, and I was talking to you and I was saying, um, what did I keep asking you? Um, do you, do you know what I mean? Or do you, do you, you know, do you get what I'm saying? Or do you, do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, and I, and I kept saying it or like, does this make sense? Does, does this make sense? Does That's this make sense? Does this make sense? And I kept saying it to you. I do say that all the time. It uh-huh. came up. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not, trying to make you feel like I don't think that you can understand me. What I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to hold your hand verbally. <laughs> I'm tr- like, I knew it in the moment when I was doing it, I was like, I'm reaching out for connection. You're a touch point for me right now. Cause this is getting really intense internally. And I'm trying, I'm trying to sink into it and drop in. And I'm also talking about the experience, which is pulling me back out of it. And so I'm trying to reach back out to you so I can drop back in. It was this really interesting, like, uh, you know, mild resistance. And I was getting real giggly and just like, okay, it's coming. Just get quiet, you know? And so I knew at some point I had to stop talking and just go in. And so, I mean, I did, I just made like a conscious choice. I was like, okay, I've got to go in now. That And that was it. Like, I just, I've got to go in now. I remember feeling like I needed my solar plexus to be really free so I could breathe more easily. I keep sitting back from the microphone. I'm sorry. Um, so I needed to open that space up. So I was very reclined. Um, I am a body worker, so you're going to see me talk about the body and how it, like, it's just my language. Um, so it really helped me like get past this like pressure valve of like protection, right? So the solar plexus a lot in that area is this like ego center, right? So I needed to help soften that area so I could get down into my pelvis, um, into my sacrum, 
and you know, your you've got your your root chakra right at the base there, and that's really your foundation. You're like softness, like your yeah. where your safety. You feel your safety, right? So I needed to be able to connect fully through that channel, um, and so I, I got myself into a position where I felt like I could do that with ease, and then I just let go. You know, I let go into, and that was really like there's this nuance with language that we talk about with psychedelics, um, sometimes where it's that like kind of. Um, you know, I mean, a little play with it, you know, like Timothy Leary and the, like, what was it? Uh, drop out and tune in. Right. Yeah. That, like yes, that yes. type tune of tune in, turn on and drop, drop out. out. Yeah. 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 So a similar thing, what came up for me about surrender was that, and I'm using this, I am using my practice. So yay, this is how it's getting integrated. In. <laughs> um, the importance of shifting our attention whenever we're attempting to surrender. So moving our attention towards what we're attempting to surrender or let go into rather than what we're trying to let go of. Because when we put our attention on the thing we're trying to let go of, we reattach to the thing. Wow. Our attention is back on it again. Yeah. So when we're trying to surrender and let, and let go, right. Uh Uh-huh. It's not safe for us, our nervous system, to let go into nothing, right? Like, to step where, right? Like, what what are we attempting to let go into? And for me, on a very practical level, I'd like to anchor that to sensation. What am I trying to let go into here? And where am I trying to be at in my body? Um, And then also, you know, when it's appropriate emotion, right? Like, if I'm trying to let go of anger, what am I trying to let go into where do I want to, where do I want to go if I don't want to be angry anymore? I never thought of it like that. Me either. (laughs) Wow. Right. So we can, we can begin to orient our sensation and our nervous system and what we pay attention to, to the thing we want more of. Right. And then that's how we build that habit into our like living life. So it it, living life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was this, like, it was really profound for me to just have an experience where I'm set an intention of what would it feel like to actually trust myself? What is the feeling of it? The feeling of it had, there was a connection with surrender in that because I, when I trust myself to be okay in it, I can surrender in it. Hmm. You know, I can be in it with whatever is here, you know. And so I set that intention and I had that experience, that exact experience, exactly what I was going for. You know, entering in, it was, it was there wasn't a, you know, I had some fractals and auras that I saw when I would open my eyes. I did not use a blindfold for those of you who might be trying to like give me the logistics um, <laughs> when I like plan this out. Um for me, as a somebody who has a lot of training in the background and like trauma sensitivity, it was important for me to not close off and my for my first journey, not close off more sensory. Like sensory is how we can ground, right? So I wanted to be able to tether um, and be gentle with myself. I think a lot of times when we have that like more is better mentality, we end up going into these types of experiences where we're like 
it needs to be the most intense thing and I'm chasing that and it's not going to be real if I'm not doing, you know, it was just Mm -hmm. like, I, I think that, you know, we can be gentle with ourselves when we're opening because again, if we make being closed off wrong, then opening up is better. More open is even better. And it's always wrong to be closed off when that's just not true. Like if we are contracted, we're protecting and what are we protecting ourselves from? And sometimes it's actually really dangerous things that we do need to protect ourselves from. And so let's be mindful of our contractions and not like try to force ourselves to let that go. Right. Right. Like what are we trying to move towards? Is it possible? Like how can we do that in a very mindful way? And then how do we support ourselves to not re-traumatize ourselves by over that's what when we talk about trauma like too much too fast not enough for too long right it's too intense it's too much for us what is happening so you can see how whenever we start moving towards intense experiences if we're not careful we can really easily just rehabituate and re-traumatize and deeper groove that patterning for us yeah right so this is kind of where it is useful to like, I, I find to have some background information on, on healing, like trauma and wounding. Whenever we start to, if that's our intention with the, with, with these things is to open up to the pain that we've experienced. Well, can we, can we do that in a way where we're offering ourselves the thing we never got the compassion and the love and the space and saying like, okay, well maybe, maybe doing microdosing first is a kind way. So I can give myself a bot, my body permission to have a very gentle experience with this first to get acquainted. And then we're going to go a little deeper and then we're going to go, that's how we build resilience anyway. I mean, anybody who's done any kind of personal training or strengthening, right. You don't like ask somebody to like completely tear down every muscle in their body. Like you do it a little at a time. And then over time you become stronger stronger and more resilient. There's also another thing that I'm connecting here. And um, you had this very, very deep understanding of what it meant to do the work. Mm. And it's it's kind of the same when you have um, a client come to you and they're like, I just want to feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and a lot of times I'll have people coming to me like wanting to do this as a, as a quick fix. I just want to feel good. I'm like, no, you're not ready. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's you, you have to have an understanding of where you are, where you want to be, where you've been, how to, I mean, it, it seems so cliche, but like how to do the work and you are someone who has been doing the work for a very long time. So it didn't terrify you. Yeah. But also you knew going in, it wasn't going to be a quick fix. Yeah. When I wasn't attempting to fix anything with this. So I think that's really important. Like that is the piece. And that's also, you know, quick fix or no fix, like quick fix or long fix. It's the fix worth more that I have an issue with than the quick part. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, And I'm not saying that we don't have like wounding to heal and that it's not possible to like have a different experience. Right. Right. But I am interested, like that word is usually a flag word for me when people use the word fix. I'm like, what are you trying to fix? What are we attempting to fix? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't know, then we can't work with it. We can't heal it. Right. Like, 
um, and I think this is where a lot of people will get really pulled in. You can do this in Western medicine. You can do it in alternative healing. You can, you can do the like fix it method, however you want, pick, pick whichever method, right? Mm-hmm, There's not mm-hmm. like, I know tons of people who are really into alternative healing and they just go from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And they just keep, they just keep moving and they're not really sitting with their experience. Right. And they will also do like lots of things all at the same time. And I'm like, how do you know what's working? Right. Right. Like, so you just came to me and you told me about this long laundry list of like supplements that you're now taking and all of these things that you're doing. And you just started this two months ago. Like, how do you know which one of those things is helping you? And do you feel like you can keep this up, that long thing that you just told me for the rest of forever? Because event, like, it just sounds like that's a lot. And the energy I'm getting from you is that like you, you're hoping to get to a point where you don't have to do any of that anymore. But isn't it interesting mm-hmm. that like you think that you don't need to do anything to like, to like this, like it's not about doing it's, I want to get to a place where I don't need to rest. Ah. I don't need to stop. And I'm like, Mm. well (laughs) that's not a problem to fix (laughs) yeah like you're overdoing and you're not being you know like yeah um i know we haven't talked about it much but in my kundalini and we will talk about this in a future episode one of the things that kept coming to me was stop trying to do (laughs) and just be and it was like this mantra repeating in my head, mm-hmm. different context, but same thing, yes, like, yeah. same thing. And sure. I'm like, we're always trying to do, do, do instead of just being. Yeah. Well, the being feeds the doing and the doing feeds the being. So it is this like cyclical yin yang thing. Like yeah. I love to do things. I do. I'm not anti-doing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like I, I, like running my business most of the time, ah! uh, <laughs> you know, I like doing, I like creating, I, I enjoy it. It's fun. It's part of what we do as humans. We create in the world. It's so fascinating. I just had um, a, a really, a, a very interesting conversation with a person I was supporting and she was talking a lot about, you know, she feels like every time she goes into this create, she's going to like launch a project and then she's, she's so tired and she's so wiped out afterwards. And she just feels like, you know, sad about the, like there was this sadness around needing to step away and refuel and that, you know, and I was like, I feel like there's this, this productivity conditioning coming through right here that like you're in this space of not feeling like you can give your, like you, you kind of feel sad that you have to rest after you've done, I was like, you're creating, like, you know, like it's like giving birth and growing a baby. Like you create a life and then you bring it into the world and you're fucking tired. It's exhausting to give birth. (laughs) It's exhausting to create and like bring into being something. Of course you need to step away and like rest and connect with what needs, what does this thing need from me now? And what's freed up and what can I do? Like you need space to stop the doing so you can actually connect with what, whatever, if whatever is next is coming, is going to come. Yeah. Right. But you won't know how to participate in that if you're just reflexively moving 24 seven and you can't actually like be with your experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So we go through these particularly women's cycles of creation. You know, we're cyclical in nature. We have this monthly cycle hormonally, we're not on this 24 hour hormone male cycle, right? We have 
this completely different way of being in the world, but the world is not built for the way that we are. So we're going to have to get intimate with that, with what that feels like for us, and then start building it into our lives if we want it to happen. Right. So I'm not going to create the way that like I've been taught creation is supposed to look that men create in this world. They're in a different body. They have different hormones. They have completely different, like there's, they are having a very different experience than I'm having. I never Mm, thought about that either. You know, (laughs) how many, I know So you get, you know, but when we, this is the, this is what rest provides us. Yeah. Clarity space to drop in with what's here right now. And to be real about that. Right. Or to trust ourselves. Yeah. To learn how to trust what our body is telling us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't trust what your body is telling you if you can't even hear it. Right. You know, if you can't hear yourself. And then if you haven't been hearing yourself, when you do start to hear, hear yourself, of course you're going to second guess it. Yeah. Right. Because you don't know what that it's you. <laughs> it's like you don't even know if it's useful. You've been taught to ignore it. Oh, the whole, shit. The whole messaging is like what you are feeling is not important here. It's what everybody else is feeling and all about their experience. And then as soon as they all, as soon as you can caretake and care, give them into a space where they're all fine and happy and their needs are met, then you'll be happy. That's never going to happen. You lovely servant woman. You. That's never (laughs) going to happen. It's like, no, that's not at all. Like that's not possible to do without burning out the fuel source. Sure. You know, we all have to refuel each other. You know, and, and for us to get really clear and own our needs. And in my experience, that's really easy to say and really challenging to do. Mm-hmm. And we need lots of validation and lots of being witnessed in our rest. That's the value. You know how validating it is to have somebody like, how many people in your life can you sit with in a room and have them be present with you for? 60 to 120 minutes and have all of the attention be completely on you. Very few. Right. That's what I do. <laughs> I'm right. Like, I know I'm like, mm. there's a lot of give and take, mm-hmm. even in like the, the relationships that I have that I, that I, I love. There's, there's a give and take. Yeah. But are you actually taking? Oh, because if you really struggle to receive in its purest form, how good do you think you're doing it outside of there when the container is built for it and is like designed? And I'm telling you, like, how is this feeling to you? Do you want me to make this warmer or colder? Would this feel good on your face? How about this heat on your back? How about this pressure? Can I sink in a little bit more here? And I'm not doing that much dialoguing. I'm feeling a lot of that out, but that's the internal thing I'm doing with you for an hour. I'm literally just like, what would feel delicious for this being on my table for an hour? And we're going to do that and we're going to move into it. And how does that work with like deeper work? Cause you know, I, I like do all of the, I can talk about the modalities, but modalities bore me to tears to be quite honest with you. Cause it's all just a tool to get in. So I have all of the little, you know, magic tricks, the different things I can do, right. To like make it luscious, but that's really the meat of it. You know, trying to get people to understand, again, you want to let go of pain as a habit? Well, let's have some pleasure, shall we? Let's let go into pleasure. Mm. We're going to pay attention to what feels good for the next hour. And at the very best, if we can't locate what feels good, how about what feels neutral? Right. 
And we're going to work at noticing it and noticing it because the more that we notice it, it's like the lifeblood of the thing. It fuels it. And And then it's a practice. And then we notice it more outside. And then when we notice what feels good, we can move towards what feels good. Ah. Right? Like, it is this very subtle but powerful, you know, simple but challenging. Yes. practice of like healing this kind of like on a, on a very like body level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to that, like how many people in your life can you just go to and say, I need you to like put your attention on me and, and like, I want to receive what feels good to me without concern for, and you know, the thing that you have to trust in your partner that most people can't trust in an intimate partner is that your partner will uphold their boundaries, right? So we pay someone because the act of the exchange of the money is like, there's a consent in that, right? Like I am, I'm giving you this, this is my gift. This is my, you know, I'm going to, that's my exchange. And now in exchange for that, you're going to give me this for the next, however long, right? This is what we've agreed upon. And I've said that because this is how much this costs me for this amount of time for me to do this. This is how much I need you to give me. And we've agreed on it. So now we're in a place of at the first place of consent. And now we just keep arriving at consent through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So in order for us to continue to arrive in that place, it's not something you just give me by signing a liability waiver. Like consent is an energy. Right. So there's this like deep exchange of like, And now I'm going to put my attention on you. And if we get to a point where I can't do that, I will tell you. And that's where you trust me to uphold my boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. So you can, like, you know that, like, once you trust that if I'm taking care of myself, you can let go. Right? All right. So we kind of got to wrap this up. Yeah. Because our phones are dying. But I am, it makes me want to go back into embody in a different way. Cause I've talked about that in an episode We've before where that. like yeah. when I first went, I was not in a place yeah. where I could understand what I was doing. And, yeah. and now I feel like I've done a lot of work to where I can, mm-hmm. how can our listeners who are near you find you? And if they aren't in Louisville, Kentucky, if they aren't local, how can they find something like this? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, I do know that there are body workers out there who understand the types of things that I'm talking about. I know I'm not the only one. So, um, but I think whenever we're starting to work at arriving and one, there's a lot of agency that you hold. And I want to encourage people who are listening to just recognize that like, again, it's about who's, you know, not who's doing it as much as like, are you able, are you in a position where, you know, you're going to, you can walk in and be open with your practitioner about what you're wanting to do. One, you've got to be able to be at least be vulnerable enough to let them know what you want to use the work for. So they can then identify as a person who can help you in that or not. Right. right. So I do like to let people know, like looking into learning, if you're just interested in learning about being in your body and connecting with that more, you can, you can go in it from us. I like to encourage maybe somatic psychology, like understanding them the deeper connections between 
Uh, it's not even a connection because the word connection implies that they are two different things and that there's a connection between them. But I'm, I am finding a, it's hard for me to find the language for it. So this, like, what are we talking about when we talk about um, the physiology of our experience? Mm. Right. So I like, uh, like I said, I did mention it earlier, Steve Haynes work. He's a, um, he, I think as a body worker, he does uh, craniosacral work, but he has these little graphic novels. I think um, there, there's four of them. One is called uh, Trauma is Really Strange, uh, Touch is Really Strange, Anxiety is Really Strange, and there's one more, Pain. Pain is Really Strange. And he, it's great because you have these graphics that he's using to help your brain understand the concept of some of these more like neurosciencey, really what could be really dense if you were just reading about it, him introducing it in with these like graphic images sure. really helps your brain like understand. And the beautiful thing about all of this touch trauma, we actually know like there have been studies done about what helps these things like improve the experience of these things. And one thing that we absolutely know helps is learning about it. Actually, the act of learning about wounding and pain helps improve the experience of how people have it. Like, it's so fascinating. So, because I do think that there's something about the consciousness and unconsciousness and bringing it into conscious awareness. Yeah. So, Steve Haynes, um, Touch is Really Strange, just the Really Strange series. I do think you can find them all on Amazon. I would recommend that. As far as working with me, I am local here in Louisville. I have me and two other therapists in our studio um, and uh, Embody. So EmbodyLouisville.com. I'm sure you guys can link that we'll up. Link yes. it up. We'll um, I'm in the process. I want to say, again, like I said, I've been in a journey and my, my um, language around my work is changing. And I'm actually doing some deep writing around my work in an effort to help people self-identify easier with whether or not it's going to be a practice they want to join in on. So um, you will notice that if you get on my website today and then you follow that journey, it's going to change over the next couple of months. There is some really useful stuff on there uh, right now as it stands. So I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not telling you not to go to the website. You might find that it doesn't flow super smoothly and there might be some areas where it seems a little repetitive or redundant. And that's because I've been building this website over the years and I, it didn't all come together at the same time. So with that being said, you might find some helpful stuff on there. You can book appointments with me and uh, Molly and Erica uh, on there. And like I said, I will be starting a podcast. So if you found this useful in any way, shape or form, um, that's going to be, I, I really don't, I hesitate to say a date because we've just, we're working on it. Do you have a name? Um, yeah. So it's called in touch. Like um, yeah. So, uh, and you know, the tag is meeting our experience together. So we're really just learning how to like be with what's coming up for us. Um, and in touch of course is, there's that nod to touch there and, and we're going to just be exploring that a bit more, um, and it was really honestly just be a lot of me sharing and interviewing people, sharing my experience, the more nuances of those and how these things kind of come up, some of what I've shared today, um, in healing and then inviting guests on who are, um, like-minded in that way, I suppose. So, yeah. I yeah. That. I know. I'm, I'm so excited about the podcast yeah. because I've been talking to you about this for a very long time. And I'm like, <laughs> when's it happening? When's it happening? Yeah. But it's really beautiful kind of seeing it like 
move and come together in the way yeah, that it has. Yeah, I've tried to start it something several times. And what I found was that when I, a couple of years ago, when I first tried to start it, I was doing a lot of unintegrated trauma sharing. So I was talking about a lot of pain in a very erratic way <laughs> that didn't, I know that you guys are familiar with, uh-huh, uh-huh. with your own experience with folks who do that. Um, that's what I, was coming up for me. And I could feel, I knew it when I was doing it, I would sit, go to talk and I just couldn't, I mean, I'm a tangential person anyway, but it really felt very ungrounded and like, almost like I was defending my experience to an imaginary crowd. Like I couldn't really rest in it and be comfortable in it and be vulnerable in a way that felt open. Mm. And so I just knew it, it wasn't the right time. Um, and I just trusted that. So yeah. I was like, this is, this is not going to help me in my journey of expression if I'm trying to force myself to do this too soon. Yeah. So I've had to continue my journey myself and get closer to my experience and really, so I can know myself really well and know what feels good and alive and learn how to follow that. Um, so I don't keep accidentally hurting myself. Well, and it also sounds like, um, somebody near and dear to us said this to me and it made so much sense. Like, it sounds like you've alchemized that pain. Yeah. So, and I think that that's the difference is, is realizing, you know, how to do that now. And that's what can be shared. So, yeah, I can do that now in a way where I'm not asking, um, I'm not asking for the approval of people who can't give it to me anyway. Yes. Like I'm, they are not going to, people can't give me what I like the, what I was doing before is I was clearly seeking something and I wasn't going to get it there. You know, you had to, it was in you. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to get, I had to go to the people in my life that I like, I was perceiving some of this stuff from and like do it on a personal level, you know? And I, I do think in our current day and age with like social media, like kind of the, the influencer and like that, that whole kind of interesting space, we see this like, we've run out of products so, to sell. So now we're the product, um, you know, and we've got to sell our lives and sell our stories. And, mm. and it's like, you know, I, I'm not interested. It's not that I don't want to make money. And I obviously I run a business. It's not, that's not it. I'm just not interested in like, I'm not interested in getting hurt again and again and again and again by disapproving strangers that aren't even in my life because I don't know how to receive validation and comfort and connection with the people around me. Like I think the stronger I get in that, the easier it is for me to open up because I'm like, look, you guys can, you guys can think whatever you Mm -hmm. need to think about whatever it is that I'm sharing and you can push back on it. You can push back on me and you can make me whatever you need to make me because I have people in my life and I have connection where I'm grounded and I'm held and I'm safe. And so I don't need that from you. You get to have your experience. Have mm. it. I'm going to have mine. I love that. That's good. This is going to be a good podcast. Yes, it is. So we will put all of the stuff out there. Thank you for sharing with us Thank today. You. Thank you for being open and vulnerable and all the amazing things. And the way that you are with your words is like profound. I, I can't love it. <laughs> I'm glad we got to reconnect. Yes. I am too. This way. I know. And I know. Let it be the beginning of much more. Absolutely. And yes. for all of our listeners and creepers and whoever's out there listening, um, we'll plug all of Misha's stuff. You guys can find her um, and we will see you guys on the other side.